All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm talking to you from New York City, uh, specifically from Queens. It's October 15, 2019. Before I talk to you about today's show, I do want to tell you, remind you, I publish a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. You can sign up for that by going to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com. Also, uh, you can call us during normal work hours, 718-457-1426, 718-457-1426 during normal work hours in New York. We also like to remind you uh, of Chen Lin's letter, What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? ChenPicks.com. ChenPicks.com is a place to go to sign up for Chen's letter, especially if you're interested in biotechs. Energy and the mining sector, those are the areas that Chen focuses mostly on. And uh, Michael Oliver as well, of course, uh, he'll be with us in just a moment. Uh, it's OliverMSA.com to go for for his uh, letter and uh, for some free stuff that's there as well, some good guidance in terms of where the markets are and, and his methodology, which is very unique. It's proprietary, and uh, the reason we have Michael on every week is because he's providing something that's unique. It's not something that you can pick up off the Wall Street Journal every day. Anyway, uh, I do want to thank all of you for listening to this show, making it one of the more, uh, one of the more listened-to shows on the Voice America Business Channel. And we want to encourage you to send along your questions and comments, whatever, whatever you have to tell us uh, in response to this show. We'd love to hear from you. You can send those along to questions for Taylor at gmail.com. Questions at number four, Taylor at gmail.com. We do want to thank our sponsors. Uh, for making this show economically viable, our sponsors for this week's show, Noble Resources, Great Bear Resources, and Irving Resources. I've titled today's show, Seeking Market Guidance from Rick Rule. So Rick Rule, Jeff Deist, and Michael Oliver are with me today. Doug Casey, who is a highly successful investor in his own right, has called Rick Rule a genius investor. For sure, Rick is anything but a, but a follow-the-leader lemming. He's out in front of the masses shortly before markets change. His expertise has been in the energy and mining sectors, but his observation of markets and the nature of humankind are of value no matter whatever sector you're investing in. Rick is an avowed lover of liberty and free markets. Most importantly, he lives those, uh, those values in his personal life. I've known Rick personally for a number of years. We'll ask him what to make of the existing political and market environment and how he plans to survive the troubled waters that appear to lie in front of us. Uh, and he'll be on with us during the second half of today's show. Right after our first commercial break, we will uh, also see, uh, seek Jeff uh, Dice's thoughts 
about the current political disunity in America and what that may mean for the markets and uh, our lives in general in the coming years. But right now, I'm happy to tell you, once again, Michael Oliver is with me uh, to give his latest thoughts on the markets based on his uh, proprietary um, his proprietary work. Thanks for joining me again, Michael. Good to be back, Jay. Yeah, it's, a, it's always good to have you every week. You are our most frequent guest, um, and that's for a reason, because uh, I just keep finding your work to be very, very helpful to me personally, and I think to many of our listeners as well. And I hope that at least some of those listeners out there are, um, are subscribing to your service because uh, I think they'll benefit very greatly from it, uh, especially if you're a longer-term investor and not a day, I, I th- a day trader. I don't know that, uh, that even you would suggest that's the greatest, that your service is the greatest for that. But in terms of understanding whether you're on the right side of a market from a longer-term perspective, I don't know of anybody that's ever been better for me personally, and so I want to thank you for coming on again. Well, uh, recently you noted that the gold has risen significantly in value without the benefit of a weaker dollar or a declining stock market, and uh, commodities in general weren't doing all that well. Uh, they, I mean, they were just sort of treading water. You suggested that we might need to see some of these other asset categories, like the dollar or equities, uh, head downward before we see gold breaking out of its congestion area right around the 1500 mark, plus or minus that side of 1500. Uh, and then you see 1,700 as the first major resistance in a longer-term bull market. But what are your, uh, what's your momentum work telling you now in terms of some of these key markets? Specifically, I think you're looking at the dollar and, and T-bonds, perhaps, right? Yeah. Uh, the, there are certain asset categories that have not uh, made a statement yet. And the, uh, two of those would be the Bloomberg Commodity Index. They're going sideways since 2016. And they've developed a structure above them on momentum, not so clear on price, that says if we can get above that structure, we're going to take off upside. Meaning, mm-hmm. finally, commodities will say, we're with you, gold. Okay, you know, mm-hmm. There's some commodity price inflation here. And we think it could be sharp and significant. So we're monitoring that. And we're literally up, up less than one point on the Bloomberg Commodity Index from closing a month out above our key structure. Okay, next category, stock market. The S&P has waffled sideways since January of 2018. It's had some big drops and some big rallies, but if you just look at the sideways action since uh, that time, it's, you know, we're pushing on two years here in, in three months. Uh, we're all of a handful of percentage points above that high. So it's really not been a good performer for long-term investors. It indicates to me, and technically it's more evident, that long-term investors in the stock market are in some stage of doubt. Mm-hmm. Why the market hasn't moved much higher than it was mm-hmm. in January of 2018, mm-hmm. uh, with ups and downs. So the doubt is expressed both ways, but net on balance, it's effectively sideways. So are most developed economy stock markets. The T-bond market, you know, we're watching for that to turn down because I think the downturn there will help infuse more capital out of that market into the gold market. Mm-hmm. Uh, T-bond market. T-bond market, uh, or government bonds in general, that would be the Bunds in Germany, the JGBs in Japan, and our T-bonds. Uh, I'm not talking about uh, risk, high-risk debt. We're talking about government debt now. has surged strongly over the last six months or so. Actually, since December, we, we turned bullish last December on T-bonds. And they've had a heck of a nice up move. And uh, it's not driven by the Fed or anything. We're talking about long-term debt here, so it's, it's more market forces move it. And uh, the problem is now, technically, we can see the potential 
and we, we, we can't call it. We know the numbers, and mm-hmm. we, we're waiting on a monthly close this month. But both the, uh, all these three markets, the JG Japanese government bonds, the bunds, and the UST bond futures, are all very close to registering levels that if they close out the month below, will indicate, uh-oh, this advance in price and drop in yields is over. Mm. Now, at first you might say, well, that, that, that could be good for stocks because it indicates that people are vacating this alternative to stocks. Well, maybe mm-hmm. so. But uh, figure it out. Do you think rising rates in the long end of the government bond market means something positive for the stock market? Mm. Okay, net on balance? I doubt it. Uh Uh, It also indicates that, oops, what does that mean? Does that mean that the central banks who supposedly, quote, control uh, government debt markets are out of control? Because if these Mm -hmm. markets break down, uh, they've created egregious (laughs) errors in the process of getting up to where they are, meaning... Uh, as low of yields as they've generated. And therefore, it could be a very dangerous wreck if the T-bond market, the bunds, and the JGBs turn down. It's not been a threat to the stock market up to this point, uh, Mm -hmm. but it could become one. So we're watching that more keenly than we are actually the stock market. Uh, And also watching the Bloomberg Commodity Index because uh, it, it looks extremely potent for a rapid upturn, meaning you come out of a quiet three plus year period of action where everybody's asleep at the switch. And <clears throat> you have across-the-board commodity strength, and that's pretty much what we're seeing the potential for. Uh, and if that happens, what will that do to the debt markets? Uh-oh, we have commodity price inflation. Yeah. So all of a sudden you throw into the mix here a wrench <laughs> of commodity price inflation, and I'm talking about the sort of percentages. If the Bloomberg turns up, we think it could surge 20% rapidly. Wow. So that's a headline event. And that's also very disturbing to all kinds of assumptions about uh, central bank uh, policy and central banks uh, being in charge. All those forces could uh, drive gold much higher. Right. Well, certainly if you start seeing rates rising, which nobody expects, everybody's sort of uh, buying the idea that we're going to see rates falling, even U.S. rates into negative territory potentially. Um that would certainly shake some confidence, wouldn't it? I mean, in the, oh, yes. the idea that the central banks are in charge and that they have uh, everything under control. Uh, and if then they start pushing money into the system anyway because of a lack of liquidity or whatever and prices continue to rise, uh, and they, if, if it becomes apparent that the central banks no longer have control. Absolutely. Uh, and it's a then I think, sentiment uh, issue as well. Yeah. <laughs> then confidence is lost. But, you know, you just have to look at the – uh, the, the global economy now, I mean, uh, people, let's say pension fund managers, they have to go out and they have to, they have to find yield somewhere. So they've been going out in the equity markets with these low, with these, with these low uh, rates and the treasury rates and uh, safe, safe rates. And they're going out, um, taking on all this risk. And mm-hmm. we've had a side, as you pointed out numerous times in this show, we've had a sideways market pretty much. I mean, the equity market's gone nowhere over two or three years. So if people are on running pension funds are depending on equities for to get their yields, to get their, their cash flow, to pay off their pensioners, um, you know, and then all of a sudden the equity market goes south, well, you would think they would be piling back into the bond market, into the ter- treasury markets, but then if you start having all this inflation at the same time, uh, yeah, it could, it could be... Um, yeah. mm-hmm. That could cause some nervousness, and I certainly cause people to look at gold again um it certainly it seems like some of the smarter investors are 
Uh, one piece you wrote recently, Waiting for a Dark Cloud to Lift, uh, I, I guess, could you just pass along your thoughts there on that? I mean, I, I, as well, I understand it... Like, two, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the dark cloud that we're all focused on uh, probably over the last year or so has been the trade war, of course. And at right. least it's been defined and compartmentalized to some extent, and it's sort of worn down in terms of its uh, threat, perceived threat. Uh, not that it's solved, but it's at least compartmentalized now, and there's a first step taken forward and so forth. And so the market has looked at this over the last several days and said, well, you know, no, it's not perfect, but at least we can sort of define it better. And it's mm-hmm. on the right course, et cetera, et cetera. China has mm-hmm. shown they're willing, oh, whatever. Anyway, yeah. to some extent, compartmentalize as best you can without actually solving it. Uh, so that's out of the way. But the other big issue was, you know, months ago, the Fed isn't accommodative enough. Okay, well, they've cut twice, yeah. and they're likely to cut a third time. So it harkens back to 2007, by the way. As we were topping, there were three rate cuts in a three-month period. Uh, but, uh, so they've cut, but forgetting that, they've gone into a new QE, and they, they d- deny that they have, but quantitatively, you can see that they have. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they've gotten very aggressive and accommodative. Okay, so that issue of the non-accommodative Fed is off the table. They're now in sync with their brothers overseas at the Bank of Japan and the ECB, et cetera. So all these, these two big possible negatives have now shifted to positive, or mm-hmm. at least to not a threat, uh, in which case, okay, the party should be on. Mm-hmm. Let's see you guys take it up. Yeah. The SP, yeah. big time. Okay? Yeah. If they do and it doesn't hold, or if they don't take it up, that's going to cause even more fear and doubt among the doubters out there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. People are still holding some long position in the stock market, but are a little queasy. You know, mm-hmm. it is exhibited by a year and a half of sideways action up here in the yeah. high, uh, around 2,900 either side of. So, again, those dark clouds have lifted. Okay, let's mm-hmm. see the party. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and uh, yeah, certainly, and uh, well, that's the propaganda anyway. There's no, there's no QE. Everything is just fine and, and dandy, and um, yeah. So, yeah, and then if you start getting some inflation and some rising yields, yes, rising yields, and people are saying are nervous about the stock market. It's not going anywhere for several years, and now all of a sudden you can get a couple of three, four percent in the equity uh, in the bond markets and the treasury markets. You can see where. Uh, it could unravel pretty quickly in the equity markets, but who knows for sure, Michael? I guess that's what—that's why we depend on you because your uh, your proven methodologies that you're using for for many years, you developed them over the years. Your proprietary uh, your proprietary models are really very helpful in helping us determine whether we are at this moment on the right side of a market or not. I want to thank you very much once again for being with us, and uh, look forward to hopefully to having you back again next week. Thank you, Jay. All righty, folks. Well, that is, uh, we do have to go to break now. Uh, Coming right back, Jeff Dice, the president of the Mises Institute, will be with us. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Jeff Dice. Noble Resources Corp. trades on the OTCQX under the symbol NSRPF and on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol NVO. 
Its flagship assets are located in the Pilbara region of Western Australia. Novo has recently partnered with Sumitomo Corporation of Japan to evaluate, advance, and develop the company's Australian gold projects. With over $40 million in cash and $60 million committed from Sumitomo, Novo is well on its way to establishing itself as one of the top junior explorers and developers in Australia. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Heart and Times of Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with uh, me once again an old friend, Jeff Deist, the president of the Mises Institute. And uh, Jeff is, uh, was previously with Ron Paul. He was the chief of staff for Congressman Ron Paul during, during the congressman's uh, run for the presidency. Uh, he has a background in, in taxes. He's, been, uh, he's an attorney, uh, and he's really a, a lover of freedom and, and free markets and uh, Liberty, of course he is. He worked with Ron Paul, uh, and so it's always good, to, always good to have Jeff with us. Thanks for joining us again, Jeff. Thank you, Jay. You know it's um, so good to have you with me again. We, um, I was actually uh, met up with Rand Paul this past weekend at a, at a book signing ceremony, and uh, well, uh, he was uh, at Strands downtown on 12th Street and Broadway, and he and his wife. We're talking about his new his new book, uh, which has to do with uh, uh, socialism and why it doesn't work. And I thought back to those days when you were with uh, President with uh, Congressman Paul, and when Rand Paul just became uh, just joined the uh, just became a senator. Actually, you you invited me and Teresa down to uh, the swearing in ceremony, and I met Rand for the first time. And uh, I remember going over to Rand. I mean, I didn't go over to him. He came into the room and saw me and extended a handshake. And I said what was on my mind with him. I said, I will, um, your legacy will be whether you'll be as pure as your father. And, you know, that was just something that was on my thought. It was probably out of place to say that because everybody has to be their own person. Us libertarians know that more than anyone. Uh, but it was something that I, you know, I really felt strongly about because if there was one politician that I have – seen or known at all or known of even uh, your ex-boss Ron was true to his convictions I mean almost to a fault I would say in some ways um, so w- what are your thoughts now in terms of the movement that Ron tried to get started and actually did get started to a great extent and you were part of that at the Mises Institute of course as well um, how are things going 
we hear so much about, uh, you know, socialism, which among the young people seems to be going viral almost with AOC and the rest. Uh, but what are your thoughts in terms of the educational process that Ron Paul really tried to get underway uh, and did to a great extent, I think? But how is it going? Because your Mises Institute is very much a part of that. So are you encouraged uh, by what you're seeing or, or the, um, the leftists drowning out your hope? Wow, that's a tough question. Uh, I think a lot of young people are absolutely enamored of socialism. I understand it because we don't teach them much otherwise in school. They don't know a lot about history. And, mm-hmm. of course, history is probably the most important subject of all to understand why various forms of collectivism don't work, but, in fact, produce very terrible, horrific results for a society. So when young people look around them and find a lot of the markers, basic markers of adulthood, uh, uh, you know, are not available to them or are very difficult to achieve. Things like getting married, buying a house, being debt-free, getting a good job because you went to college, things that their baby boomer parents might have not taken for granted, but uh, nonetheless enjoyed, are Mm -hmm. simply not available to them. And of course, the big lie that we told young people was that student loan debt's different. Yeah, You know, it's not like going out and using credit cards for fancy meals or buying a a nice car that you shouldn't buy. You know, those are frivolities. But student loans are are good debt because (laughs) you're getting an education and that'll pay for itself. And don't worry about that 40 or 50 grand you borrowed. You'll be you'll easily be able to pay it back because you'll be making so much more than if you were a mere high school graduate. Of course, that's something that's that's caused a lot of pain and anguish for young people. And that's why. Many of them have turned to what at least, uh, you know, sounds like a simplistic or appealing solution for somebody like your own AOC there in Queens. Yeah, uh, not my know, own. So th- this, th- yeah, this is why it happens. No, no, Jay doesn't live in the Queens, in the AOC part of Queens. He lives in the, in the uh, uh, mobster part of Queens. But, <laughs> but nonetheless, you, you can understand the appeal. Uh, people like simplistic slogans. They like scapegoats. They like easy answers to their problems, and politics purports to provide that. Yeah. Well, it sure does, and I'm thinking the fancy meals. It's not like – well, I don't know. A lot of young people went off to college, I think, uh, probably lived for, for their four years, uh, uh, you know, parting it up and, and not really uh, caring too much about studying. After all, if you just get that piece of paper, Jeff, that's all you need. You don't need to know anything. You don't need to have learned anything. Uh, just have that uh, that degree and then walk into some office somewhere and get a great high paying job. I think that's the dream, isn't it? Isn't that what most people have believed? And it's you know, it's not like I have to work hard to learn anything. I just just get the piece of paper. Well, here's how good government is, Jay, at eliminating its competition. And yeah. by competition, I mean not only other governments or us moving away or something and stopping, you know, preventing them from fleecing us for our taxes. But I'm talking about competition for hearts and minds. Nah. I mean, young people are questioning every institution in the world today, from marriage to home ownership to whether you're a guy or a girl yeah. to, uh, you know, college to church. Every institution is being challenged, but young people are running to the single worst institution on earth, the state, right. as their savior. They're making a religion out of politics and government. So the one institution that young people have faith in to provide them with health care and give them free college and give them a guaranteed income and an apartment and everything else is the government. Right. So that, that's, that's really something, and only an ahistorical people, I think, could come up with that. 
Well, yeah, I mean, it gets back to history. How is, you know, what creates wealth? And Rand Paul did a wonderful job, I thought, he and his wife explaining how capitalism has has provided so much wealth for so many people over, uh, you know, over the last uh, century or so. And and yet um, it's not taught, it's not understood. And, you know, you have Hillary Clinton and the, the likes of her talking about how government creates wealth, not not uh, not corporations or private private individuals. Of course, they've got it back backwards you know your your um, your boss ron paul in the past he used to say that if we are free we will be prosperous um i guess i guess that's definitely um, what we're talking about capitalism and uh creates wealth i mean the, the, the people create wealth through the freedom of capitalism i guess right well to me capitalism is just a world a word for what people do when you leave them alone and yeah. that is they they create property rights and they trade with one another um, so I, I, I don't think capitalism is a system per se. It's, it's mm-hmm. the absence of, of a it. system imposed by the state generally. Right. So, right. but we, you know, clearly uh, what allows us to entertain nonsensical uh, ideals about socialism in this country is because we're already rich right. and we can live a long time off the fumes of, the, the capital that was accumulated by previous generations. And so this is why the West is enamored of capitalism. And this is why the East, excuse me, this is why the West is enamored of socialism and why the East is enamored of capitalism, because all right. the people in China who have lived for centuries uh, in, in very modest circumstances are now saying, hey, we want a little bit of that. We want some of that Western wealth. We want running water and electricity and cars and, and iPhones and all that uh, great stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's it's really interesting that the Western world, which bequeathed the the notion of capitalism, is now running from it, and the East is embracing it. It's one of those uh, ironies of our day. But again, this is because people are dopey about the material wealth all around them. When you walk out of Jay's place in Queens, <laughs> and you walk down the street, uh, there's a cornucopia of restaurants. And shops and public transportation and, you know, across the way, planes are taking off, yeah. uh, you know, across the bay there. And, and, you know, the whole thing is just is just an absolute unbelievable marvel. And, and what what, uh, you know, what allows all of this to, to sort of uh, materialize every day? Well, the government does its best to thwart a lot of it, but it materializes anyway. And, and so people don't understand this. They think that the wealth that surrounds us will continue to exist regardless of the incentives put in place by an Elizabeth Warren or whomever, and that's just not true. Right. Jeff, uh, speaking of capital, I think there's one idea. I mean, I think that people don't really understand what capital is. Uh, The banks created money out of nothing to uh, the banks, the Federal Bank, the Federal Reserve created money out of nothing, gave it to the banks to save them from uh, bankruptcy during 2008, 2009. They called that capital. Um, what damage does that do when capital is created out of nothing and the people who have actually saved their money and not consumed it are diluted, essentially? The value of their capital is diluted. Um, are, we, are we destroying capitalism, in a sense, uh, by that intervention in the, government, in the uh, markets, I guess, right? 
Well, it's important to distinguish between money and capital. Capital, I think we should define very, very broadly as uh-huh. the accumulated wealth in, a, in an individual or an organization, a company, or even in a society or a country. So wealth takes many forms. It's simply creating more money, whether that takes the form of actual physical currency or just electronic blips uh, on a commercial bank's balance sheet with the Fed, or excuse me, uh, d- deposits with the Fed. Uh, you know, creating new money doesn't bring any new goods or services into society. It, you mm-hmm. know, it doesn't magically mean that there's more of anything other than just money. So by definition, money creation doesn't create wealth. The only question is who gets the money, when mm-hmm. do they get the money, and what do they do with it? So it turns out that the people who get the money first tend to be people who are closer to the federal government and closer to central banks. They, mm-hmm. Whether they are contractors with the government, whether they're uh, what we call primary dealers amongst commercial banks. Um, and so by the time let's say a less affluent person you know, get you know see some of this money trickle down to him or her through their uh, social security check or something it's it's generally worth far less so um, you know capital isn't money per se capital is wealth mm-hmm. and and what happened when the Federal Reserve, in effect, recapitalized u s commercial banks because they were all insolvent, they were all crunched for liquidity, they were all in over their head, a lot of them had a ton of bad and toxic mortgage debt or mortgage-backed securities bundled debt on their balance sheets. So the U.S. federal government, the Treasury, in conjunction with the Fed, uh, came along and said, we're going to recapitalize you guys. We're mm-hmm. going we're gonna to create a bunch of new bank, a bunch of new uh, money out of thin air, and then we're going to give, you, give it to you, and you'll have reserves in exchange for, for the Fed. We're going to buy uh, some of your assets. And so, I mean, you can't even begin to to understand the distortive effects this had right. throughout the economy. What other industry gets recapitalized? I guess the auto industry does. Uh, yeah. is, the t- is the tanning bed industry going to be recapitalized because <laughs> we find out that that gives you cancer? How about the, the blockbuster video industry? Should they get recapitalized? I mean, what's next? Yeah, right. No, it's, it's very damaging, of course. And it's, again, it gets back to the, to the ignorance of, of people uh, without the, the, the history, the understanding of, uh, of history. Uh, Jeff, with just a couple of minutes left here, your boss, Ron Paul, um, when he ran for president, I noticed a lot of the uh, the things that Donald Trump espoused when he ran for president, especially on foreign policy, were similar to those ideas that Ron espoused. Certainly, the, the nature of the two men are quite quite opposite. Uh, Ron Ron is a, is a gentleman. Donald Trump is, uh, well, he is what he is. Uh, but but in terms, do you see anything good that's come out of the Trump administration so far, as uh, you, you know, as as one who works so closely with Ron Paul? <laughs> well, I, Ron has fewer wives. I think we can <laughs> I think we can put that to rest pretty quickly. And probably a lot less I, money. I I think Ron is is still on number one when it comes to wives. Um, yeah, I think. It was never about Trump. It was never about his advisors, his cabinet, his policies. It was never about any of that. What Trump was was rec- represents to me is that so many Americans, 60-odd million Americans, were willing to go off script mm-hmm. and vote for this crazy uh, – TV star, reality star, real estate guy from New York City against the anointed, entitled, everybody knows is going to win uh, next neoliberal Hillary Clinton, who was groomed for the position for years and years, uh, got upset in, in, in a sense by Barack Obama, and was basically you know, represented the next stage 
of Western social democracy, of progressivism. She was going to not only be the first American president in the U.S., but she was going to be sort of a global avatar of that Clintonian uh, uh, brand of neoliberalism, and that this was just inevitable. This was like the the, the you know the dawn follows dark, and the, the waves come in the shore, and this was just going to happen. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it didn't happen, that there was that much angst out there in America, that's the story. Mm-hmm. That you know what what Donald Trump has done since. Look, I can't keep up with this guy. It's it's yeah. I I don't. It's not healthy for me to to lead an overly political life where I follow every little day-to-day machination on, you know, what he said on the phone to the president of Ukraine or something. I I don't think that's healthy. Um, And they they want us, they want us addled. They want us sort of uh, bound up with all of this day-to-day intrigue. And and I think it's our job to refuse it. But but the story was never Trump or even what he was going to do. The story was that Hillary didn't win. That's the story. Yeah, right. Well, it is what it is. Jeff, I want to thank you so much for being with us. Folks, it's uh, Mises.org. M-I-S-E-S dot org. Go there to uh, catch up with Jeff, his insights, and he has many great in, uh, many great uh, interviews that he does there on the weekend. He has a weekend interview, a lot of great information, uh, free market stuff. Uh, I can't recommend Mises.org enough. Go there and learn more uh, from Jeff and the many people that he interviews. Thanks so much for being with us, Jeff, and we'll look to do it again sometime soon. Thank you, Jack. All right, folks, we do have to go break, but don't go away. Uh, Rick Rule will be with us, and I want to ask Rick um, what he's doing these days and you know, how much longer the bull market and gold is going to last, and when will we know when it's over? That's a really important one. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Rick Rule. Great Bear Resources, trading under GBR on the TSX and GTBDF on the OTCQB, is a gold exploration company focused on their wholly owned Dixie project in the prolific Red Lake Mining District of Canada. Having recently made four major gold discoveries, GBR is now fully funded to drill 90,000 meters through to the year 2020 as part of a very active exploration program. Rob McEwen of McEwen Mining, a Red Lake veteran, is a significant shareholder following a recent $5.7 million investment. To stay up to date, visit greatbearresources.ca. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. 
Welcome back to Turning Hard Times and Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again Rick Rule. Uh, he is the Senior Managing Director at uh, the Toronto-based Sprott, Inc., and he is also the President and CEO of Sprott U.S. Holdings and is the Chief Investment Officer for Sprott Resource Holdings. Rick is uh, really well known for his success. One time when he was uh, on this show with Doug Casey, Doug called Rick the best investor that he has ever known, and that's saying something because Doug is no slouch himself. He's done very well uh, himself uh, with his investing uh, in the past, so so we're very fortunate to have Rick with us again. Um, thanks for joining us, Rick. Jay, it's a real pleasure. Thank you for having me. It's always good to have you with us. Um, your advice, your ideas, uh, they're novel, they're your own, um, and they're not uh, warmed over pablum as we get from so many people, not on this show, but uh, on, the, on the other shows, on the main channels, of course. Um, you know, I, I want to ask you a little bit about Sprott, Inc., trades uh, in Toronto, trades in, in the U.S. as well. Um, how's the company doing? Could you talk a little bit about the Sprott business model, just uh, for people that might not be familiar? Uh, how does What does Sprott do, and how do they make money? Because they are profitable. They're even paying a dividend, I think, uh, not too far under 4%, which is pretty good these days for a stable company. So uh, just talk to us a little bit in general about Sprott and its business model. Sure. Sprott is uh, an investment manager and an investor in natural resources and precious metals. Um, we manage or administer about $14 billion of capital on behalf of about 200,000 investors worldwide. Uh, unlike many investment managers, uh, we don't try to cover the entire investment horizon. Mm-hmm. We have been for 40 years specialists in natural resources and particularly in precious metals. As you point out, uh, in the bear market that we just went through, where the most relevant of indexes, the Toronto Stock Exchange Venture Resource Index, fell by 88% in nominal terms, Uh we managed to stay profitable. Uh, Not always easily, but we did. And uh, I would say that we are respectful enough of our owners, the shareholders, that we continued to maintain a dividend through that entire period. That dividend, as you point out, is now approaching 4%. Mm Mm-hmm. Our mutual friend, Doug Casey, describes dividends uh, wonderfully as outward manifestations of inward grace. Uh, The fact that we're able to pay a dividend speaks to our financial health, and the fact that we're willing to pay a dividend, I I think, speaks volumes of the regard that management has for the owners of that business. Right. It's my belief that we have one of the most valuable brand names in the world related to precious metals investing. And if I am right, that we are early on in a precious metals and precious metals equities bull market, my hope would be that the relationship that we enjoy with 200,000 investors worldwide gets deeper and more profitable for both. Uh, and that that will be reflected first in the income statement, then in the balance sheet, and of course, finally in the share price of Sprott Inc. Mm-hmm. 
Well, certainly, uh, you mentioned brand names. Sprott is, of course, named after Eric Sprott, the well-known investor in the Canadian mining sector. And I see Eric's name involved with private placements in countless junior mining companies that I follow, write about, and invest in myself. To what extent, if any, is Eric still involved in the activities of Sprott? I know he's doing his own thing to a great extent, but is he is he involved at all directly, uh, formally with Sprott or informally? Eric is no longer an officer or director of Sprott, mm-hmm. so he isn't bound uh, in a compliance sense uh, with us from the point of view of securities industry regulators on either side of the border. Eric is, as far as I know, still our largest private client, mm-hmm. uh, and he's still a very substantial shareholder. Um, I would describe us as good friends, uh, but no longer joined at the hip. Mm-hmm. Much of what, much of the way in which Eric has built his fortune, and he continues to speculate today, is appropriate for him or appropriate for me. That is, it's, it's uh, appropriate for uh, knowledgeable, wealthy clients who can afford the outsized risk yes. that is inherent in <coughs> mineral exploration. Some of those activities are not appropriate to some of the 200,000 investors that we represent worldwide who might, as an example, want a more efficient way to hold bullion through Sprott. Mm-hmm or to the institutional investors that participate in our lending business, which is a relatively high return, but much lower risk business. Mm -hmm. So much of what Eric does, uh, he does uh, unconstrained uh, by considerations of how the risks that he's willing to take might impact others. Mm -hmm. Well, Rick, maybe you could just talk for a minute about just specifically what are some of the services you mentioned the bullion. You, I guess you, you could certainly buy uh, the Sprott bullion uh, ETF. Uh, you have a silver one and a gold one as well, I, I believe. And um, also then you have a mutual fund, I think, a gold uh, share mutual fund, gold mining share mutual fund as well. Yeah. Maybe you just talk, talk about those other things that provide a lower risk profile for the average investor. Uh, the three products that we're known the best for are the Sprott Physical Gold Trust, the Physical Silver Trust, and the Physical Platinum and Palladium Trust. Mm -hmm. And they are uh, often superior products for U.S. taxpayers because unlike the conventional ETFs like GLD, uh, the, the precious metals that we hold on behalf of our investors is not regarded by the IRS as a surrogate for physical gold ownership. Ah. but rather represents shares in the trust. The important difference there is that on disposition, if the investor has generated a capital gain, that capital gains in the Sprott product is taxed as a capital gain Mm -hmm. rather than as ordinary income, Hmm. uh, which is what occurs in the ETF. Being the sort of patriot that you are and I am, Jay, the idea that we pay them less Uh, is at once practical and patriotic. So for U.S. taxpayers, uh, the Sprott product may have very, very substantial advantages. Secondly, unlike the conventional ETFs, which 
uh, gain or lose assets every day depending on the whims of the markets or the investors and therefore have to buy or sell precious metals every day. In the Sprott Trusts, we occasionally raise relatively large sums of money uh, and invest that money simultaneously in physical metal, mm -hmm. which is deposited at the Royal Canadian Mint. The benefit of that is that we never accept depository receipts, but only physical metal. Good. So we are never the unsecured creditors of a counterparty in a transaction, mm -hmm. uh, unlike uh, some of the ETFs where fears have been expressed uh, mm -hmm. as to the nature of their inventory during <laughs> periods of rapid metals price increases. Right. Very interesting. The, um, other products that we have are gold mining share ETFs. Right. We have a senior gold miners ETF and a junior gold miners ETF. Unlike the other ETFs, ours aren't purely market cap weighted, but are rather factors based. Mm -hmm. In particular, one of the factors that governs our own selection is revenue growth. Because one of the risks that you have in gold mining companies is that to the extent that you're not replacing your reserves, your business is shrinking. Right. And we didn't want to own large amounts of large rotting businesses. <laughs> uh, but rather, we wanted to own businesses that would continue to benefit from the upside in gold. We also recently uh, acquired a longtime friend and competitor uh, of ours, uh, the Tocqueville gold assets managed by John Hathaway, who, as I say, we have competed against for 20 years, uh, but have come to be very fond of. So for those people who want active management, uh, we have both an actively managed mutual fund and also a, a special segregated account managed by Hathaway and his team and our team, uh, which buys shares in companies that we believe are takeover targets in the consolidation wave, which is, as you've noticed, mm -hmm. sweeping the mining industry. Yeah, it's, it's, starting, to, it's starting to happen. I, I w wonder um, to what extent you think, uh, well, well let, maybe before I get to that question, you're, you're bullish on gold just to lay out the reasons why. Well, for, <laughs> for the reasons you or and do I we have enough time? Yeah, we, we really don't. I mean, gold is, again, as our friend Doug Casey points out, uh, both a medium of exchange but a store of value. Unlike a fiat currency, which is classically a promise to pay, gold is in and of itself payment. It doesn't, it is not a, an obligation uh, of the payor. Um it is, in fact, payment itself. The knock against gold was always that there was a cost associated with holding it. That cost being the yield that somebody uh, had to give up by owning, as an example, gold rather than treasuries. Mm -hmm. With the current treasury yield, that's less of a problem. Our mutual friend Jim Grant uh, describes sovereign debt these days as return-free risk. Yeah. <laughs> and if you think about that slogan, that says something about gold's competition. Mm -hmm. In fact, now, Jay, there's almost $20 trillion in government obligations worldwide where, for the first time in my career, governments will tell the truth. They are promising that if you loan them money, they will give you back less than you gave them. <laughs> and they will keep that promise. Yeah. 
uh, I think in that context, gold ownership for most people, uh, particularly older people uh, who don't have a chance to get back what sovereign debt might steal, that gold ownership is in fact a must. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. I, I just uh, so do you. Do you feel that we're? I mean, we've had quite a run in gold already. Uh, Michael Oliver, who we have on this show believes we're in a congestion period now. He thinks we probably need to see a couple of different markets head in the opposite direction, probably the equity markets and or the dollar market, for the for the next real major move in the gold markets to take place. He's looking for at a, a, a um, probably a resistance area somewhere around 1,700 once we get the next move underway. Does that seem outrageous to you? I'd need to caveat my response, Jay. I'm a, I'm a credit analyst. <laughs> um, I'm not a market technician. You're, you're just a humble credit analyst. I am. I'm a loan shark, really. Um, and I, I can't really tell you what gold's going to do in the near term. When I, I hear people describe the fact that gold has already had a major move, uh, a major move to me is uh, a move like the move I saw in the 70s. Yeah. From an admittedly price-controlled $35 to $850. Or a move like we saw last decade where gold started out at the beginning of the decade at $250 and ended the decade at $1,900. I, in fact, uh, have and have used as a marketing prop uh, a graph. Admittedly, I'm no technical analyst, but this is the 40-year gold mining stock index rather than a a gold chart Mm -hmm. that shows the longest running mining index that I'm uh, that I'm familiar with and there are three parts of the chart that are particularly instructive to me and I think would be instructive to your readers mm-hmm. the first is that when you look at where gold is today or gold mining stocks pardon me mm-hmm. relative to where they were over the last 40 years it is crystal clear that we are either approaching the bottom at the bottom or just off the bottom on a 40-year basis that much mm-hmm. is very clear Mm-hmm. The second thing that's clear is that these troughs, these uh, mining index declines, last between sort of two years and five years. So this decline is extremely long of tooth. Mm-hmm. It would appear from a historical perspective to be at the end or very close to the end. Mm-hmm. The most dramatic part of the chart, however, is the violence of the upside in recoveries. Mm -hmm. Uh, Anemic recovery generates a 200% response in the index. Mm -hmm. A real recovery generates a 1,000 or 1,200% response. The important thing I think that you get from this is that even if we had a year or a year and a half or two years of sideways performance from the gold stocks Mm -hmm. and we had to charge ourselves rent on our capital over a year or two years. The magnitude of the recovery in the short period of time over which it takes place means that almost any rent you had to pay on your holding period when gold was going sideways was irrelevant compared to the ultimate return. Mm And that's what I would rather drive, draw people's right. attention to. Well, uh, I, yeah. I don't know what the upside is because it's difficult for me to fathom the level of collective stupidity 
that we engage in politically. And right. I really believe that the ultimate determinant of the gold price, and hence gold equities prices, is uh, a function of the lack of confidence that will ultimately be expressed by savers in the purchasing power, particularly of the U.S. dollar, and particularly of the U.S. dollar expressed by the U.S. 10-year treasury. My confidence is low, of course. <laughs> yeah, well, I think we share that uh, that uh, level of confidence or lack of confidence. Rick, I think I, I've seen that chart you're referring to of the equity market, of the uh, gold share uh, markets. And uh, I, I think, as I recall, though, there is also, you know, there's a, a prolonged period of bull market. And then you have a period where you might lose about 80% in a fairly short period of time. And you have always been, I mean, one of the reasons you've been so successful is you've not been too greedy. You're willing to get out before and not take the last dollar off the table. And so, I mean, the one question I want to make sure I ask you today is how will we know, how will we know when it's time to exit? I'm not suggesting that we should be thinking about exiting. I, don't, I agree with you. I think we're in the maybe the second or third inning of a, of a nine-inning game. So, but what will you be looking for to say, Rick, it's over. Jay, it's over. You got to get out of this thing now uh, because uh, it could, you know, it's long in the tooth. And we don't want to lose 80% or 90% of what we've gained. When the, uh, when the Jay Taylor channel has a million subscribers, <laughs> and when Sprott Inc. is selling for 30 as opposed to 3, yeah. and when you and I come to believe that gold is no longer cyclical or volatile, yeah. that is, when uh, we become confident, when you know the cover of... Uh, whatever they call Business Week magazine now, has a bunch of bullion on it. Mm -hmm. uh, when what we do becomes respectable, it will be time for you and I to fashion our last exit. Well, that's right. It, it gold is still not respectable, even though there are some uh, big-name investors that have uh, are, are supposedly investing in gold. It's still... It's still uh, not a respectable thing to do, is it, Rick, to own gold? It's, uh, it, it, it isn't. And, I, yeah. you know, I hope that most of your readers understand that uh, gold in its most fundamental form as an investment is really an insurance product. Yeah. That's uh, right. It does well when other parts of your portfolio punish you. And the good news is that a relatively small premium can provide a lot of insurance to you. Mm-hmm. That is a good news. So when it's time to get out, Rick, there's we're going to be looking for other places, and I know you'll be looking for other places. Although I don't know, I think I I heard you say something about this is your last uh, rodeo or something like that. I can't believe that you're not nearly as old as I am. What I will begin to be more active doing, uh, Jay, is merely managing the account of the investor that I know best, who is myself. <laughs> Uh, I will almost certainly uh, share the benefit uh, of my work with anybody who cares to avail themselves of it through Sprott. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I see myself increasingly wanting just to manage my own money and to increasingly divorce myself from the regulatory environment that I find myself in. Oh, I can't blame you at all for that. 
Uh, just a couple more questions. We're almost out of time here. But what what do you make of this negative interest rates that uh, that, that we have around the globe? I mean, you've got something like I saw something like ninety four percent of all investment grade bonds are U.S. dollar denominated. It seems as though there's pressure for interest rates to continue to decline. And you know, our good friend. Um, well, I think you know Alistair McLeod. He's been on my show many times. He's, uh, of course. And, and Alistair really makes the point that there's a difference between the U.S. dollar's negative interest rate and the negative interest rates of, say, the euro or the yen, because everything in the world is denominated in U.S. dollars. And when that time preference, that concept of time preference, where you know gold has a time preference of a one and a half or two percent, something like that, that's what the what the markets are telling us. That when that um, when the you know when the treasury markets go below that, and they're, that's pretty much where they're below that now. There's no reason to own currency anymore. And so he thinks that that may be the death knell of the dollar as the world's reserve currency. Any any thoughts about along those lines with about a minute left? I don't think that we're going to see in the near term the demise of the dollar as the world's reserve currency. Mm-hmm. Doug Casey says it's the prettiest mare at the slaughterhouse. <laughs> uh, and we just aren't competitive in terms of devaluing our currency as competitive as other countries are. Mm-hmm. I don't think that gold will win the war against the U.S. dollar. I just think it'll lose it much less badly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would advise people to hold some liquidity in dollars and some liquidity in gold. It's just that most people hold almost no liquidity in gold, which is an enormous mistake. I see the U.S. dollar being strong relative to other fiat currencies for the next year and a half or two years. I think that gold will be simultaneously strong. And then I think you'll see a circumstance like you saw in 1976 and again in 2002 where the dollar begins to roll over and gold does very, very well. Mm -hmm. That could be the the peak of this cycle perhaps. Well, Rick, I want to thank you very much for spending your time with us. Always good to hear from you and your wisdom is, uh, is cherished by our listeners. I know that's true. So thank you very much for being with us. Jay, a pleasure. I look forward to uh, doing it again. All right. We'll, we'll most certainly will. Thank That's you. it for this week, folks. Uh, my main guest next week will be Richard Mayberry. Addison Qualley will be with me. He's from Monetary Metals. He'll tell us how you can actually gain some interest on your gold if you care to lease it out. And also, uh, Michael Oliver hopefully will be with us once again. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 